0: We're going to tackle a whole chapter tonight, which we haven't done yet. So we've been going through um, Genesis. We started in Genesis 1 a while ago. We've been kind of pecking at it over and over again. And then if you remember last week, um, I got into how all of Scripture, which... We're just on a trajectory tour. I don't know when we'll get to Revelation because we're taking so long to get through Genesis, but we're on a trajectory of just reading through Scripture. That's that's my plan right now is just to go chronologically through the Scripture and teach for as long as I have the opportunity to teach. Um, but we view, um, as I've been trying to spell it out through the study of Genesis so far, is that there... Uh, one main theme that keeps happening is that we're, we're trying to be um, humble and leave maybe our preconceived ideas at the door and read what the author intended for us to read and not read our own culture into it. So um, a mantra that I was having a while ago that I haven't brought up in a while, but is that, but is that the scripture was written for us, but it wasn't written to us. And so it's for us, we gain from it, but it wasn't written directly to us. It was written to another audience that was in speaking another language, one, and is in another culture. And so although the truths uh, transcend culture, they are written within a culture. And so we've been reading it that way, that we can learn um, and not just immediately heap our 21st century view on things right from the jump. And then the other thing is that there's a continuous thread all through Scripture. So the Bible isn't a collection of little mini stories that give us a moral compass on how we're supposed to handle certain situations. Though we learn through all the different stories, there's an overarching theme, an overarching plot, a consistent thread that runs through Scripture. And what we want to do, um, what I'm hoping I can do as a teacher going through Scripture, is that I'd like to keep referring back to and keep our eyes on that constant thread that's running through, that we see uh, within these stories, we're going to learn things, we're going to see things, we're going to learn things about culture, learn things about Christ, learn learn all sorts of things within that maybe story that we cover for that week or that chapter or those verses we cover that week. But then I always want to, especially now because it's starting to come up is I want us to see that overarching theme that's happening because then it will give us this bigger picture of what uh, the author through the inspiration of the Holy spirit is trying to convey to us. So we're going to tackle, I'm going to attempt to tackle all of chapter four. Genesis 4 today. So if you have your Bible, grab it and uh, open up to Genesis 4. And I'm actually going to read through all of Genesis 4. So if anybody needs a Bible, Quinn will grab you one. We have free Bibles. So if you want a Bible to keep one, you can have it. Otherwise, Genesis chapter 4. And would you guys stand with me as we read through the scripture? Genesis 4, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I've acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Uh, Just quick note right there. That's actually, he's doing his, his father's trade there, being a tiller of the ground, which is what Adam was doing in the garden. Uh, among other things, but we'll unpack this later. Uh, Verse three, and in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. The fat was set aside for the Lord Uh, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Verse six. So the Lord said to Cain, "Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you shall rule over it." Side note: That right there, its desire is for you. Uh, that's actually the same language that's happening in in the curse when he says to the woman, "Your desire will be for your husband; it'll you'll be to rule over him." Basically, so. It's, it's getting flipped on its head here and saying, sin's desire is, is for you. You need to rule over that sin. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a, and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken out on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone find him should kill him. And then the family of Cain, verse 60, then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch, Enoch, to Enoch was born Irad, and Irad begot Mahujahel, and Mahujahel begot Methusahel, and Methusahel begot Lamech. Then Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of one was Adah, and the name of the second was Zillah. And Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwelt in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jabal. He was the father of all those who played the harp and flute. And as for Zila, she was also born Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. And Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zila, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech. For I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold." And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then then men began to call on the name of the Lord. Let's pray. We have a lot to do. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. And we ask that as we have just read your living word, that just in doing that, Lord, we trust that you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, are changing us from the inside out, that we can simply read your living word. Um, Holy Spirit, I ask as we now begin to unpack it and study it together, that you would equip all of our hearts to be hearing and to be soft clay, soft soil that seeds can be planted in. And Lord, I I ask you that you would equip me as a, as a teacher to speak and that I would rely on you and not ideas of my own mind. But Lord, uh, I would just ask that you would use me. I would humbly ask that you would use me as we uh, study this tonight. Be glorified, Jesus. Be the center um, and speak to us, your kids, as we want to discover more of who you are and discovering more of who we are. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. Have a seat. Thanks for standing the whole time. That's the longest passage we've done yet. We're doing a whole chapter. And if you've been with me since the beginning, then that's a lot. Cause sometimes we've done like, I think two verses. So a whole chapter is a big one. So like I was saying, remember there's an overarching theme. So as I just read through that whole chapter, there's kind of a ton happening. It's a, a lot of madness. So we have. We immediately go from, remember last week we studied, it was the curse. It was Adam and Eve being exiled from Eden. And now we're straight into, okay, they're having, they have these two kids. And right into that, Cain and Abel are are offering an offering to the Lord. and and, And remember, so here's a point of how we're reading this from a different vantage point to us we have again, the advantage of all of scripture. So we can look at um, the story of Cain and Abel, which we're not going to major on tonight, but we can look at the story of Cain and Abel and see the issue here in Hebrews 11, four. It says that by faith, Abel offered a, a more acceptable sacrifice to the Lord. And so we know that there is an internal issue happening that Abel's, Offering is accepted and Cain's is not. But to the reader, who's, who's the intended audience here who got this, although we are intended, but to the reader, there's no, there's no clarification of that. So we see Adam and Eve are exiled, then they have these boys and then these boys have, we have this matter of time that's happening. These boys then give this offering and the Lord accepts one and doesn't accept the other. And then we're into this conflict. And then from the conflict, then we go to uh, a whole nother issue, which we're going to unpack. And then we go through a genealogy. And now we're years and years and years down the road and there's a city and we've seen humanity move. And so uh, again, this is this, this long overarching thread that runs through scripture. If there's one thing that happens throughout tonight that I want to get across is what we were talking about last week is this downward spiral of humanity. So we have that fall and verse four, it starts in three, and we're going to have this same thing continuous all the way through chapter 11. So we're going to be, we're going to be seeing this for a while that this downward trajectory of humankind, as we have stepped out from underneath the Lordship that is created, God stepping out from underneath his Lordship, making ourselves Adam and Eve, making humanity, we're going to be the Lords of our lives. And then we're going to start to see the repercussions of that. And we're going to start to see how sin exponentially corrupts that sin exponentially sends us it, it, it eats back on the story of Genesis and and sends us back into chaos as we then step out and are living in a role that we weren't built, we weren't wired to be in, a role of being the decision makers, being the lords of our lives. And so I remember last week I referred to Star Wars, where Star Wars has a ton of little stories that are happening and it bounces around from planet to planet and things are happening. But there's an overarching story that we're going to see. And that's this downward spiral of humanity. One more thing before we get into unpacking it is there's in teaching through this, this chapter specifically, there's uh, an elephant in the room to me uh, and maybe for all of you. And so instead of just not addressing it and, and walking right past it, I want to address the question so that, you can study it on your own or you can unpack it more. But if you look at verse 13, Cain says he, he's fearful that anyone who finds him is going to kill him. And then if you look at verse 17, Cain finds a wife. And also at the end of verse 17, Cain builds a city. What do all these things? What's the question to me, the elephant in the room? What's the question that all these bring up is where are these people coming from? Is that you have Adam and Eve who have Cain and Abel. And now you have city being built. You have a wife to Cain and you have Cain being fearful that anyone who sees him is going to kill him. So all these make us think of people now, not to get your hopes up, we're not going to tackle that tonight. I have one, uh, one bit of helpful tip. Hopefully that can help us in this. There is no shortage of theories. So. This isn't an unanswerable question per se. There's a ton of theories. If you want to go study um, what different commentators, different uh, Old Testament scholars believe how this works out, um, I encourage you to do so. The one thing um, I think will help us tonight even is the way scripture is written, the author is very purposeful. And we've experienced this already in, in the creation account in Genesis. The author is very purposeful on including information that is pertinent to the story, the ideas, the, the overarching theme that he's trying to get across. And they're less concerned with answering every single question that we could ever come up with. So case in point, Genesis, there's a lot of... if. You, there's a lot of questions as we went through Genesis. There's a lot of questions that we can have for Genesis, but the problem isn't with Scripture. The problem isn't that Scripture's messed up. The problem is that we're maybe we're asking Genesis to answer questions that the author was never trying to address. So the same thing can be happening here. If we are asking, well, where all do these people come from uh, this big question? Maybe that's something that the author wasn't trying to address because it's not contributing to the story that he's trying to tell. It's not contributing to this overarching theme that he's trying to tell. Scripture is not, um, does not in service to us that it has to answer every question that we have. We are in service to the scripture of learning what it has to say. Does that make sense? That we sit, It's the living word that we come under the word and we don't dictate. You answer my questions. We say, what do you have to tell me? I'm here to listen. I'm here to learn from it. And the things that it doesn't say maybe is a hint to us as people that we're off on what we're trying, what we want this part of scripture to say. Make sense? So if if you struggle with that one, hopefully that one will help you. And it points to a larger theme. It's not concerned with the, how the earth was populated. It's concerned with, um, it's, I mean, we're still in Genesis. So it's concerned with the creation of humankind and what our role is as human beings and now broken human beings, what it looks like. Now that we're outside of that covering, we've made ourselves the Lord of our lives and we see this downward spiral of humanity. So there's going to be three points that we uh, run through tonight. And the first one is the importance of repentance. And this is going to be really similar. This part is going to be really similar to uh, a few weeks ago and you'll see why in a second. So we see Cain and Abel both offer offerings to the Lord and the Lord accepts Abel's. Uh, he doesn't accept Cain's. And uh, as I just said in Hebrews eleven four, we discover why, but this original audience, they don't know this. And then God begins a conversation with Cain. And hopefully this is going to be deja vu. You're going to think of something else when we read this as what I think the author is trying to do here. Verse six says, so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you shall rule over it. So a loving conversation, right? Uh, A fatherly conversation is what it sounds like to me. A, hey, why why are you angry? This is... This is what is expected, and like I was saying before, we know from Hebrews that there's a heart condition happening, and it's gonna reveal itself in the next couple verses. It's gonna really reveal itself on what the heart condition is. But the Lord is coming with this underlying. Well, I mean, they're questions, they're question marks. So this underlying, talk to me, expose your heart to me, show me what's going on inside of you, so so we can see. Let's have this conversation. And then it gets, it ramps up really fast because then Cain kills. So that's, that's God talking to Cain about the Lord not accepting his, his offering. Right. And so then Cain is bitter. And that heart condition is Cain is this broken person where he's living for himself. Um, Scripture doesn't, explicitly say it, but I think all of the narrative and all the language is pointing to that Cain, though his outwardly actions looked like a offering looked like could look like worship, which we can do as believers still well, our actions can look like worship, but our heart condition is I'm the Lord of my life. I'm just trying to play my cards right to be blessed. And Cain didn't get that blessing. And now he's really frustrated. And again, his heart condition exposed where how he reacts to that after the living God has spoken to him. So man is um, kept out of Eden, right? So man can't go back to Eden, but God is not kept out of the affairs of man. So God's talking to Cain. Cain goes off the rails, kills his brother. And then again, watch the Lord's response. Um, What verse is it? Verse nine, then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? This verse here reminds me so much of the first sin of God coming into the garden and asking Adam, where are you? Does God know where Abel is? Absolutely does. He absolutely does. So what is, what is happening here? He's not being, I don't believe, uh, I don't believe the tone of God here is sarcasm. I don't think he's being sarcastic. I think what he's doing is the same thing he's doing with Adam. He's trying to cultivate in the situation that they're in, he's trying to cultivate repentance. He's trying to cultivate this openness, this submission of repentance, of confession, of not condemnation, but a starting a conversation of where's your brother now Again, we're going to see this downward spiral. What was Adam's response when the Lord was like, Adam, where are you? And Adam said, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid. He, yeah, they, they hid themselves. So Adam's in a sense, like we can respect Adam's response now more because Cain, we see almost the same conversation happen and, and look at Cain's response, just complete fist to the sky. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? So flat out lie. He absolutely does know where he is. And then two, throwing it back in God's face of, what am I supposed to watch this guy? What am I supposed to like know where he is at all times? Just completely lying and disrespectful. This is this brokenness. And again, like that's where I think the narrative speaks. If it's a heart condition for Cain that's happening, it's this brokenness, this I'm living for myself. The question then to us, if we've seen this already, um, in these pivotal verses, we're in Genesis, we're at this foundation of scripture. This is the jump off point for scripture moving forward. And I think a good understanding of a Genesis gives us a really good shot at ha- of having good theological, good doctrine moving forward. So already we've seen two conversations where the Lord is trying to draw out repentance. So that should be assigned to us as believers, the importance of repentance. That is we live for ourselves. One of the sure signs of us living for us of us falling for this, for this lie over and over and over again, that we should be the Lords of our lives. One of the first things that we can see in our life is an unwillingness to repent. If you're the Lord of your life, if you're the King of your life, why would there be any reason for us to repent? Right? Who are we to be sorry to who, who are we to answer to repentance comes with the prerequisite of humility? Doesn't it? That it's, if I'm repenting to you, I'm humbly coming before you, even if it's not God, if I'm, if I'm repenting to anybody, I'm humbly coming and admitting I was wrong and I'm putting myself lower than you. And so this is this brokenness we see in humanity that God is trying to cultivate out of them, trying to draw out of them of this is, this is who you are. Even though you feel like you're the Lord of your life, this is how you were designed of living under me and Cain's having none of it. He is going to be the lord of his life, he is going to do his thing. And then we even see it going further in Cain's response to the repercussions of his sin. So then God says that he's going to be cast out, that he's going to be a wanderer, that the 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 ground will no longer yield um for him. And what does Cain say? Uh let me find that one. 12. Thank you. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength for you. A fugitive and vagabond. You shall be on the earth. And here's Cain's reply. And tell me as I'm reading this, tell me, tell yourself, whatever it is, who, who's Cain's focus as now he's discovered, he's done something terribly wrong. He's caused, he's taken a life So he's taken his brother's life. There's no mention of Adam and Eve, but two parents who have two sons have lost a son. Their one son killed their other son. He's grieved the living God who he even can speak to. Now, who is Cain's focus as he goes through this? And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day. From the face of the ground, I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. Who's Cain looking at? Himself, right? He's still, this is that narrative that he is still fully inward focused. He is very sorry for the repercussions. He is not sorry for his actual sin. He's not saying, I mean, think of how close they are to the Genesis account, how close they are to their parents are the first people to walk the earth. He has murdered. He has ceased the existence of an image bearer of God. And there's no, Lord, forgive me. What grief I've caused you killing one of your creation. What grief I have caused my parents What grief I've caused my brother who no longer lives, but it's Cain. This punishment is too hard. I'm so sad. I'm so sad. I'm so sad. It it reminds me of, of my daughter. She's about to turn four. And I think, I mean, a lot of times she can't comprehend what she did wrong, but she'll always cry when I have to discipline her or talk her through things. But she's at that age where it's, she's just upset that she's in trouble. She's not upset that she's like, oh, dad, I'm so sorry that I hit my brother. It's, it's not that she's upset that, that she's getting talked to in a way that she doesn't like. She's upset that, like, I always refer to my kids as little heathens. Like, I, I, I pray not, but they're little sinners. And she has this in her. And my son has this in him where they are not predisposed to grow up and say, Oh, I don't live for myself. They are little mini idol factories. And every day those kids wake up like their dad and their mom do as all of us do. They wake up and of their own flesh, their first thoughts are what serves me today? What can I get out of people today? What can I get out of this life today? And so we're in the process of trying to be good parents and (laughs) walking them through the process of you are not the center of the universe and you are going to hear no a lot of times in life and you need to be okay with it. And hopefully then learning that she begins to know how much her father loves her. And that when she does wrong things that she understands, I always explain to her like, um, I have to discipline her. And so I tell her that I say, Everly, You've disobeyed and I, because I love you, I have to discipline you. If I didn't love you, I would let it go, but I have to. And I hope that in time that, that she learns that, but she has to be disciplined. And then I hope as she knows she has a loving father that when she does wrong, that it's not, they're not tears for what the repercussions were. They're tears for, oh, why did I do that? I hurt other people. And it's, it's a heart change. It goes from, I'm broken because I don't like what I'm feeling, the repercussions of my actions, to, oh my goodness, my actions affect other people and what I did hurt them. And it gives us that mindset that we all should have as believers that we don't live for us. We're the last person we live for. We live for our community. We live for others. We are, Christ came and gave his life for us so that we could live and give our life as he did as example for everyone. We live selflessly. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Amen. And so that's, that's what's happening here. Cain is fully, fully looking at himself. And as God is trying to cultivate this in him, so at any, this repentance, so what we can learn from this is that every moment we have as believers to cultivate repentance in our own lives, we should seize it. We should grab a hold of it and run with it to cultivate repentance because it's obviously a big deal that we've seen it so quickly in humanity twice we've seen it and it's it's both in the first two sins we have the sin of if, depends on how you categorize them but adam and eve that sin we see god trying to cultivate repentance in them and in with cain we see god working to cultivate repentance in cain and so that should be a warning sign to us that when we see us not wanting to repent that it should be a sign of who we're living for and Anytime we have an opportunity to repent, we should grab a hold of it and cultivate it in our lives so that it becomes a habit. That we are quick to apologize. We are quick to own up to where we are wrong. We are, we are quick to humble ourselves. We are quick to think of other people's feelings before we think of our own self, or quick to think of um, how our actions affect other people before we think of our own. And I think it will serve us well, as this is obviously something that is screaming loudly from Scripture. Secondly, as we try to fly through this chapter, is um, our actions create culture, and this coincides with that we are that our thoughts should be about our community. Our thoughts should not be about ourselves and focused inwardly on ourselves, but our thoughts should be for others. And what naturally comes from that is our actions create culture. We see here in scripture that Cain then goes out and he knows his wife. So he has a kid. He has Enoch. They have a city. um, They build a city. Cain, I think still through, um, because Old Testament names are a big thing a lot less than how names are with us. I think Cain's arrogance and uh, selfishness, his self-absorbedness is still coming through in even naming his, the city after his son. I think it's, I'm making a name for myself. Like we've, we've been, I've been banished and I'm going to make a name for myself. So he has a son. He names the city after his son, not anything, after the Lord, but it's, this is me, this is my family. And then we go through that genealogy. And so that genealogy and the mental picture you should have is though it's just rattling off names and, and what people are doing. You should just see this trajectory, just, just dive bombing. So we get all the way to Lamech and then Lamech one is the first polygamist in scripture. And we shouldn't read past Just read past that very quickly this should be telling us something so that we have the downward, the rapid downward spiral of humanity. We go through this quick genealogy. We land at Lamech and the author stops at Lamech to then point out things that are happening with Lamech. And it's not simply describing who he is like, here's this character, but it's he, there, He's describing, we were at this point and look how far it's come. So everything we read about Lamech should be warning signs should be, Oh, this is sin having taken root and birthing sin into birthing sin, birthing sin further and further. So we see Lamech first polygamist. So he has multiple wives. So this sin has affected a culture. The culture then is an oppressive culture. It's an oppressive culture to women because Lamech is now taking wives as not how it is written in Genesis. So a man shall leave his father and mother and join his wife. So it's this one. It's that Eve was taken out of the side of man. Remember, we studied the, the literal word for the Hebrew word for side wasn't rib, but it is literally that same word is used 99% of the time in scripture to describe the side of the building or this side of that area. It's, it was like Adam was cut in half that Eve is this other half. So these two become one, not three become one. Basic math. We do math class tonight. So two are becoming one, not Lamech and his two two wives becoming one. So it's oppression that he's taking uh, these women, he's oppressing them, and they are not his, his equal with different roles, but his equal to do life, but they are now property. And we've seen the degradation of humanity. So we're seeing uh, women, I shouldn't have to clarify this, but women are image bearers of Christ. Humanity is image bearers of Christ, right? It's not just men, it's men and women. And so it's one image bearer of the Lord, oppressing the other image bearer. And we're playing this, this Lordship again, because we're outside from the covering um, of God. So we see the polygamist. And then we also see, look at this poem that he, his sweet guy has a poem for his wives. Um, Look at, (laughs) yeah, <laughs> verse 23. So Lamech says to his wives, and this then should be shocking us again, pointing us at that trajectory, uh, Adon Zila, hear my voice, wives of Lamech, listen to my speech for I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech 77 fold. So what we want to unpack here. So one, 77fold. It's actually a really hard if you um, look up Old Testament scholars and commentaries, the 77 is actually a hard thing to translate. Um, but there's another reference that hopefully you're already thinking of that it really means endless. Is that Okay, Cain's it's supposed to be sevenfold. Mine's going to be 77fold. And he's saying my the revenge for hurting me is endless. Furthermore, listen to the, the hostility, arrogance, selfishness in this, in that uh, when it says even a young man for hurting me, so it's literally translated to lad or boy, and for hurting me is, tra- is the word translated for bruise. So the, the repercussions, the payback is going to be endless for this adolescent boy who bruises me. This is the air and he's bragging of this. This guy who has, who's oppressing uh, his wives is bragging. What he's going to do is bragging of his vengeance. And then look at how, um, where is it? Uh, Turn to Matthew 18. Actually, you can start going there while I'm unpacking this. So we have Cain who sins and the Lord says, that whoever harms Cain will pay sevenfold, right? And then Lamech comes back and he says, so if this is Cain's, then mine is going to be this. Who declared that Cain's was going to be seven times? God did, right? Who's declaring that Lamech's is going to be 77 times. It's going to be endless. Right. Right. So who has now not only do we see the polygamy and oppression not only do we see the violence the arrogance the a tyrant but also who has elevated himself to the god of the universe is the who is the judge before I'm the judge and this judge is bigger than that judge This judge is going to carry out an endless decree. My revenge is never going to be ending. You hear the arrogance in what he's saying as he's saying this, the, the belittling of God as he's, as he's going through this mantra. Now, Matthew 18, Lamech, should make us think of this verse. And I think Jesus, as he's saying this, I think he's thinking of Lamech in Matthew 18, when he's talking to Peter. So remember God is the judge. Lamech has elevated himself to I'm the judge and jury, and I'm the one who's going to carry out revenge, which is not our place. It's not our place to be the judge and jury and to carry out God's vengeance, but it's to leave people Again, we are not the Lord's of our lives, right? So we are to live in subjection to him. So we trust him that when we are done wrong, that we leave the consequences to the Lord, that Lord, you have forgiven me. So I forgive them and I will leave them. I will leave you to deal with them. I don't need to carry out your judgment. Lamech steps out from, has stepped out from underneath that, like his ancestors have And he's saying, I will be the judge and jury. People have, people, even a little boy comes and bruises me and I'll kill him. And I have killed him. He's, he's elevating himself to that. Now Jesus is going to correct that thinking in Matthew 18. When Peter comes to him and says, then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him till seven times. And Jesus said unto him, I say not, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. So where Lamech's revenge was endless, Peter's then asking, if somebody does wrong to me, how many times should I forgive? And it's the same thing, the same idea, this number, 77, it is endless. That's the seven is the number of completion. And that's why it's the hard part in translating it. But the idea behind the multiple seven is endless, is there's no end to it. And so where Lamech is saying, I will carry out my revenge endlessly. Jesus is saying, Hey, when someone does you wrong, you forgive endlessly. You, you aren't the Lord of your life. You leave their consequences to God. You leave those to me I'm the one who works that out. You forgive and you, you walk that out. Does that make sense? You guys getting that? So we see this downward trajectory of this culture. Um, I have to fly through this next part. So I might revisit some of this next week, but the last one. um, Repent. So our first one is the importance of repentance. The second one is that our actions create a culture. And the third is that we need to contend for our culture or contend for our city. Either one you want to say. So we, we see the first city uh, being built in this chapter, right that Cain goes and builds a city now here's the interesting thing to me is that um, I think it was last week remember we unpacked how uh, it was the curse of, the curse of Adam and Eve that the way the curse is written it wasn't God just simply picking on pregnancy that pregnancy is going to be more painful and work in general for Uh, Men is going to be harder, but it was getting back to the core of how we were built is that we are to our two jobs were to rule and subdue. So talking of work and to be fruitful and multiply. So speaking of uh, kids having kids. So what God is saying there, he's not picking on two separate things, but he's saying at your core, you are now broken and everything spills from that. So again, we're in the same thing we are still made in God's image. We still carry the imago day, yet we are broken. So, Cain, although we want to view him as the villain in the story and that there's the good guy and the bad guy and life is that simple, which it's not, we want to view Cain as this villain, Cain is still carrying out his image bearing character. As we see in the building of the city, man, humanity was supposed to continue the Genesis account, right? Continue the creation process is that we were to be fruitful, to multiply. We were to rule and subdue. So we were to be gardening, but we were to be creating, being creative. That's the characteristics we've been given by God that we have his character of. We can create, we can build, we can innovate, that we can, uh, a lot of things that humanity has, humanity has done is still in our nature. It's still in our image bearing because we were creating his image. We are simply now broken people doing it. And so we see Cain builds this city and At first glance, because Cain is the villain, then we can vilify everything that comes out of it. And we need to be discerning on what we vilify. Cain goes and builds a city. There's nothing inherently wrong with a city. Then we see skilled tradesmen through that city, right? We see the musicians. We see the craftsmen. Um, There's all different trades that are happening in that city. These are these inherent things that we have common grace uh, that humanity has that we can create that the, the artist who is an atheist who paints beautiful pictures is unaware or refuses to believe that the thing that they do, this trade that they have is actually a characteristic that was only given to them by a creative God. We still carry these traits, yet we are broken and it's leading to brokenness and more brokenness and more brokenness. But it doesn't mean that we've lost this ability. We're just seeing it played out in a bad example, which is what this story of Cain is. It's what this trajectory is sending us on is that humanity is broken and it's falling and they're continuing in the, marching orders. If you want to say it that way, they're continuing in this, but it's going downhill fast. They're still ruling and subduing the earth, but everything's broken. They're still advancing. They're still growing, um, but everything's broken and it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And so in reading this, we can say, well, the city is, the city's bad. Like, Cain built the first city and therefore that's why cities are so awful. And I think, well, this is something that's been handed, handed down to us since the 18th century. So the romanticists in the 18th century, um, what they believed was that they were trying to answer the question, why is there so much evil? Why is there much, so much pain? Why is, so, is there so much hurt in the world? And what the romanticists came up with in the 18th century, the, the common thought was that it was the city that cities were forcing people. Cities were the catalyst by which people were evil. People were corrupt and that savages or people living outside cities, living on their own. They were more prone to be moral um, and, and peaceful and since been proven to simply not be true, but I think this mindset has not only crept into American culture, but I think it's crept into our church culture to where don't we think of, Oh, get out of the city this, uh, whatever. I mean, the easy example is California, get out of California. It's so broken. It's so liberal. It's whatever you want to complain about, let me get to somewhere where there's space where I have to deal with less people. Life will be so much easier. Right. And it sounds easier. That's like what vacations are is you just get away from everything. So though it's easier, we need to understand that our job is hard. And our job means being in involved in contending in for our culture and for our city is that we see that this, through this city, we see culture falling. We see culture uh, going off the rails and it's our job as believers, not to pull ourselves out of those situations. You hear it from pastor Rob is so much more eloquent. I mean, this is his bread and butter, what the Lord has called him to in explaining this, but it's, it's not the idea of that the world is California is just like, I don't know what's going on with it. So I'm going to pull out of it because there's so much brokenness. It's really, man, that's the place that we should run into, right? That's the place that we should go and get involved in. Now that's a huge example. Let's whittle this down to something that's probably applicable, I can't say the word applicable. Thank you. Thank you, Ken. Um, Let's whittle this down to something that we can do now. So, uh, a broken workplace Ugh, can't stand that place. I just want to get out of there. It's just the, how those people act, the language, those people use, we complain about the culture that we're in and then we want to escape it when our job is not to escape those cultures. Our jobs are to infiltrate those cultures, defend for those cultures and change those cultures, Right. So Jesus, if he, if he followed that thought would never have come to a broken world. Why would he leave perfect heaven to come to a broken place? Cause he was going to change it. And so we are carrying out that same mission is that in our city, tangibly in our families, the culture that's there in our neighborhoods, the culture that's in your neighborhood, in our church, in this group right here, how we deal with each other and how we greet each other and whatever it may be. Those and all those little cultures, those little cities, if you want to say, and all those groups, we have a calling to contend for them, to fight for them, to create, to be culture creators within them. Not that we are victims to a culture around us and that we need to find a culture that it's easy for us, but we need to find the cultures that are hard for us because those are the ones that need changing, right? The, the room that needs a light in it is a dark room, right? So a room that has a bunch of lights, is there a real big need for a light in that room? No, it's fine that you're there. I'm not going to say you can't be in comfortable cultures. This is very comfortable. I'm happy you're here. I hope you're happy I'm here. This is very comfortable. But we are called to contend for these places and where our city, these uh where where so much culture comes out of. And that's the thing that we also have to understand and I think again California it's so easy to use, so I'm just going to use it, <laughs> but Cities are where where culture is created. So when you're in a city, there's diversity, there's competition, there's ideas. The more people around you that aren't like you, the more you learn, right? So if I lived or imagine if you all lived in a house with 10 of you, it would be hell on earth, right? It is from. It would be hell on for me. I'll admit that we can't have when it's just us. When it's just us, we. Where are the outside ideas coming from? But it's the beauty of culture, the beauty of community, the beauty of families that we're all different, right? And so everybody brings something to the table. And so, like it or not, your cities, your cultures, your workplaces, whatever it may be, that's where culture is birth from that's where it sends out from because that's where ideas are being thrown around. That's where uh, people are, are sharpening each other. That's where there's this healthy competition. That's where things happen. And so we can, again, say California is easy example, but we can run from California because of take your pick on why to leave the state. We could run from it for any odd reason but it doesn't change the fact that California is a culture setter, right? We see so many as goes California goes the country. We see so much happen from California. And so we can look at it pessimistically and like, oh my gosh, California is a disaster and the country is going to be a disaster. Or we can view it as a, what an opportunity that if I affect this culture so much culture gets birthed out of this place. And if I affect this place, what could this place then affect? And again, let's take that grand concept, whittle it down. If I could affect my wife and my kids, I hold two fingers up. I'm about to have a third kid. So I'm going to four. If I can affect my wife and my kids, what could then they affect? My daughter's going to have uh, an ability to affect young little girls that I, that her dad is not going to be able to affect. And my son, my two boys soon will be able to affect culture that their dad is not going to be able to affect with their, whatever kind of buddies they have little skater dudes or whatever. Like my wife can reach out and affect other women the way that I can't speak to them, the way I can't relate to them, the way I can't affect them, but I can change the culture in which they're in or then they go out and and change their culture. We can, we can have culture here that affects outside this. And so we're all called to these. Everybody has places. You, we have neighborhoods, we have workplaces, we have families, we have our church community. We have circles of friends. We have all these cultures, all these cities that we can affect. And as we affect those, those cultures then can affect others. And so real quickly, um, The importance of repentance, humility. This repentance is the telltale sign of where we're viewing ourselves. Are we living for ourselves? Are we living for someone else? And secondly, our actions affect our culture. So as we begin to live selflessly, our actions are then going to positively affect our culture. But then as we live selfishly, Our actions are going to affect our culture, just as we saw is this story of their culture. And lastly, we need to contend for them, these cultures that we create, these cultures that we create are that we're in. We need to contend for these places because out of these places is birthed culture. And as you, um, just as my actions are not strictly held to me and I'm the only one who's affected by them, but my family is, so as our our families aren't the only ones affected by decisions that the family makes, but the neighborhood. And the neighborhood is not the only ones affected by the decisions they make, but their city is. And their city is not only affected by it, but their state is. And their state, right? We see this echoing, this ripple effect that we have, but it's what does it boil back down to? It boils back down to one person, it boils back down to Cain, one person deciding to live a certain way one person deciding to be selfish and sends this on this trajectory that we're seeing humankind on or us as redeemed people can be on a trajectory of healing, of restoration, of forgiveness, of humility, of love, of pursuing the broken, pursuing the hurting of, of reaching out to people as we live to contend our culture, knowing that our actions affect others. And we are a people That our characteristic is that we are quick to forgive and that we are quick to ask for forgiveness. We're we're quick to own our faults.